You know how things come in uh, groups? I think we have a superstition in this culture that things happen in threes. You hear about a, a, a movie star dying, they happen in threes, or car accidents happen in threes, or things happen in threes. Uh, I'm not sure that's really true. I think we stop counting uh, at the three. We start at the one. When the three happens, we say, see? Right? So some of that is just human uh, uh, cognitive uh, games, I think. Uh, we have completed the... Uh, well, the reason I brought this up is in the last semester, uh, I have not just from students at Cal Baptist, but from people who I've run into and others, uh, I have talked to, I think, several in each category of people that I run into, so it's across the board, of people who are frustrated in their congregations. And their frustration is of two types. One are people who began in liturgical churches and then moved into non-liturgical churches and are now missing the liturgy and the rhythm of the holy days uh, in their life and in their experience. And others are people who uh, at times were mocking of those who use liturgy and now are beginning for some reason, there's, there's a tug in them that they need to be more systematic and ancient in their faith. And, uh, of course, I'm known for those things, so they come and talk to me about it. It's a, it's a fascinating thing. I, I have a sense that God, by His Spirit and by His Word and, and by the circumstances of life, is drawing people back to a little more uh, systematic and ritual-based faith. Now, the danger of that is that we can become... Uh, those who think that by doing rituals we receive spiritual brownie points. And nothing could be further from the truth. The scripture is very clear that these things are shadows of things to come and the substance is Christ. So there are two dangers. One is to cling to the rituals as if the rituals are the substance themselves. And the other is to claim the substance and ignore the ritual so that you don't really understand it. My, my best and, and only explanation for that now is that if you get a item, uh, uh, you get a new car, you get a, uh, a fancy item, you get something that you're new at, uh, you always look at the owner's manual to see what it does. And the owner's manual is fantastic in that it explains it, but it doesn't help all that much because you still got to actually do the stuff. But I think of the rituals that we engage in and the, uh, the traditions of Judaism and Christianity as the instructor's manual for the Messiah. Yes, those who don't do these things have the Messiah, but they don't really know what they have. And those who somehow are excited about the instruction manual and only the instruction manual forget that the substance is right there in their presence. So it's important for us to keep those in perspective but to understand that these things are, are related. 
So we've completed the Lenten season for this year. Uh, last Sunday as we did Palm Sunday. And we entered into that weekend Passover, Unleavened Bread, and, uh, and Holy Week. Um, today we complete Holy Week with this message of the resurrection. And we enter the counting of the Omer. Actually in Judaism it started at the beginning of this week. Uh, and we, uh, the counting of the Sabbaths in Christianity leading to uh, uh, Shavuot in Judaism and Pentecost. Now they're a little off from each other because of the counting. Uh, the counting that we do that we think follows the biblical pattern and the Essene calendar uh, and to some extent the Sadducean calendar is a counting from a Sunday, always to a Sunday for those 50 days so that there will be seven full Sabbaths. The Pharisaic tradition, which altered around uh, several of the holy days so that Yom Kippur uh, would not land on a Friday or a Sunday and, and you'd have two holy days right back to back. So they kind of let the calendar breathe a little bit. Um, uh, condensed the Passover unleavened bread and first fruits into a three-day series. Which is why Christianity ultimately did the same with Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. These were not pagan deals. They were Jewish mindsets that said we need to make some adaptation to try to obey it the best we can. Some people getting very literal and some people trying to let the liturgy breathe so that more people could participate and it would be less difficult in that context. Always a balanced problem. I believe that both trying to do the will of God is appropriate and that we shouldn't be arguing with each other about that. Now we have done that. We prepared ourselves in Lent as a reminder that we too are to pick up our cross daily. And I was... Uh, both uh, uh, wondered when we made the crosses available whether anybody would use them. And I began to notice both in the services and in other aspects of people's life that they made use of the crosses, either uh, overtly, outwardly, or sometimes just wearing them, and that it was part of the reminder of the Lent season in that context. Um, so we now prepare ourselves to experience the resurrection and the new life that is in Christ. Uh, in that process, I struggled with doing a full message with all the texts everywhere throughout the New Testament that talk about the same stuff, you know, kind of a Bible drill approach. And I finally decided... Uh, that I was simply going to take a passage of the scriptures that talks about this and let it do the talking directly and just comment on that and not bounce around from passage to passage. So while we, all, we usually have several follow-up passages, I'm hoping that some of those will ring in your own mind and you will find them as we talk about this. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. I debated doing the full book of Colossians. <laughs> we would have been here all day. Uh, it's important to understand that 
all of these chapters are connected, and I'm going to do chapter 3 up to verse 17. I thought about following to the end of the chapter, but then I'd have to do chapter 4, and uh, so I'm trying to maintain some level of time. But if you read, if you go back thinking about this, read the entire uh, book of Colossians for that notion. In fact, in chapter 2, he talks about what Jesus did on the cross. And in the context of that, he says in verse 16, Therefore let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a shadow of what is to come, but the substance is Christ. Now what he's talking about is that there are going to be differences. There are differences. There were in Judaism at the time between the diaspora and those in the land between the various sects of Judaism that saw the holy days a little different and thought the other ones were doing it wrong. We're doing it right. Not a good idea. The idea of division, Paul says, is not to break the unity but to show those of you who are approved. Uh, Once you begin to realize what people are doing in their observance, you begin to see the parallel and you see the family resemblance. It doesn't have to be exactly the same. Um, As you did Passover uh, this this, uh, year, you may have altered it slightly. If the essential elements were there, that's, that's what's important. And, uh, and we need to be careful of that. But there's a tendency then to judge others in that context. But the substance is Christ. What we're doing in the rituals is trying to understand the Messiah in a, in a better way. And so he says, Then let no one defraud you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, uh, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. In other words, I'm special. I now have a great insight into all of these holy days that you don't get, you peasant. Right? And not holding fast to the head, that's Christ, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by joints and ligaments, grows into a growth which is from God. The idea being that we are to see these things as a way to unify us, not to divide us. They are to show our unity. And uh, those who turn them into, I'm right, you're wrong, we do it right, you do it wrong, you do it on the wrong day, we do it on the right day. They are dividing the body and missing the whole point of what the ritual is about. With that in mind, I want us to look at chapter uh, 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now he begins with a statement that's related to the ascension. Now the Western Church will celebrate ascension this Thursday on Cinco de Mayo. I don't know how to put those rituals together. I'm not even going to try. But the Western Church will look at the ascension in that context. We have 40 days to go. Uh, Before we will do it. But the meaning is the same. That Jesus showed himself alive. Then he, he ascended into heaven. Sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Something no high priest has ever done. And that, and he has seated us, Paul says, in heavenly places with him. And so he begins with that statement. He says, if we have been raised up with Christ, 
Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Then in verse 2, he tells us how to do this. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. That's an interesting thing. Now, this is that same notion that we have, this paradox of the kingdom to come and not yet. The kingdom is not yet, and yet the kingdom is among us. We are risen with Christ, and yet we're not resurrected yet with Christ. In some sense, we are in a first fruits of this resurrection, and we're aware of it, but it's not in full operation yet. And yet we are supposed to focus on what we've been called to, not where we have come from. So he says the things in heaven, uh, things above rather than the things on the earth. The danger is to think that they're above and one day I'll go above too. And that's not what he's talking about. So I want you to look at the next verse. He says, second verse 2, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden? I thought I'm supposed to let my light shine. What he's saying is, the substance of the resurrection, the substance of the kingdom... The substance of everything that happened in those days of the death, burial, and resurrection. All the promises that God made that are now going to be unfolded and fulfilled are all in Christ who is at the right hand of God the Father. And we are risen in Him and we are seated in high places, in heavenly places with Him. And therefore He is unseen and we are unseen. That's not clear. It's hidden. But he says, in the next verse, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed at the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, when He comes back and all that He has done is manifest, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Wow! That's a fantastic thing. And Paul says, you've got to be thinking about this. You've got to be anticipating this. You got to be focused on this because you no longer belong to this world. You belong to that world. That world is coming. You're not going to it. It's coming to you. And so you are doing your preparation here and now. Now, these images are all over the scripture. We're betrothed to Christ as the bride. What is the bride supposed to do? She's to prepare herself to be holy and without. Uh, wrinkle and without spot. She's preparing herself for, for that time when her bridegroom will come. Well, here, he's given us the idea of the resurrection. There's a time when this body will be changed. This body will, will be raised from the dead. And the full manifestation of what Christ did will be found in me. And so he says, that's hidden now. But it's going to be manifest. And when he's seen, you're going to be seen with him in that context. So, in that statement, he then, in verse 5, gives us a therefore. Now, you know the old line, when you see the word therefore, you need to look at the verses in front to see what it's there for, right? So, because we are risen with Christ, because our life is 
hidden with His, and He is our life. Because there is some change that's happened, that change has to be in our mind and in our behavior as we anticipate and prepare for the, for the coming of the Lord and His revelation and ours as well. And so he says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Dead? Well, what does dead mean? Death is separation. For as the body without the spirit is dead, which is dead? The body or the spirit? The body is dead without the spirit. So works, faith without works is dead, right? What's dead? The faith is dead, right? So the idea is the separation of things that should be together causes death. Death is separation. The ultimate death, the second death, is our separation, uh, or not ours, but people's separation in the lake of fire uh, away from God. So he says, you are to see yourself as dead to something. Now, when I was a teenager and and a semi-young adult, or a young semi-adult, that's probably better accurate, I would say, I'm dead to the world. What I meant was, I couldn't move, I couldn't do anything, I was tired, right? Paul's not talking about that. What he's talking about is, uh, and you've seen this, where people say, you're dead to me, it means I have nothing to do with you. That's the separation. So Paul says, you need to reckon your members, your body, your person, as dead to certain things. Dead to fornication, dead to impurity, Dead to passions, dead to evil desires, dead to greed, which amounts to idolatry. But why am I supposed to do that? Because of these things, the wrath of God will, be, will come on the sons of disobedience. Oh, you see, when Jesus is revealed, his reward will come with him to give those who have done Right, a reward, and those who have done evil, a punishment. Well, I thought that was all taken care of on the cross. It was, in terms of eternity. But it wasn't in terms of the full kingdom. We all will give an answer for the things done in the body, whether good or evil. So what is Paul saying? Hey, you don't belong to that world anymore. I want you now to belong to the new creation, the new world that's coming. And so... Reckon yourselves dead to those things. They were, they were the sum total of your life in the past. Not so anymore. You belong to Christ. Your life is hid in Christ. And Christ is your life. So he says, because of these things, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them, you also once walked when you were living in them. You're not living in them now. You're living in Christ. Well, it doesn't seem like I'm living in Christ. That's why you have to reckon it. You have to consider it. You have to make this a statement in the same way that you said uh, when you put on the, on the cross, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself for me. There's an exchange. I'm not living the old life anymore. I'm living the new life. The old life was part of this creation with its passions and its lusts and its corruption and its problems. The new life is about the kingdom to come and my job is to try to be dead to those old things and alive to the new things. And that requires an act of volition. That's an act of our will. It's not just automatically done. I wish it was. Boy, do I wish it was. I wish once you said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, or whatever sinner's prayer you used, all of a sudden there'd be some kind of change, and all of that would be done. He did that with our spirit, but he says, you know what? You've got to work on your own mind. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, by the way, the body is going to stay the way it is until the resurrection. So from time to time, and most of the time, you're going to live in Romans 7. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Thank God there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who have crucified the flesh and walk in faith, right? So every day we have to, in some sense, get up, take that cross. But this time we're not just taking the cross. We're stepping through the empty tomb. We're coming out of that. I mean, I don't know how to do that. There's no way to have a little dawn and empty tomb, you know. But I wish there was. I mean, I wish there was a way to visually remind myself that I am coming out of that. There's a there's a there's a cathedral in is it Mazatlan, Linda? There's a cathedral, I think it's in Mazatlan, that was built for the Christians by the Jews of their community. If you ever get there, you need to see it. All of the top stained glass windows are stars of David. And it's the brightest cathedral you've ever been in. You know how most of them are dark and dingy? This is beautiful. And on above the altar, normally you would see a crucifix. You see an empty tomb with Jesus coming out of it. It's great. You know, I'm thinking, these Jews had some ideas, you know. Great idea. It's a beautiful place. And uh, I've seen it three or four times. I've taken some videos of it, but it doesn't look as good as the actual thing does. But I, I think of that when I think of these passages. I'm risen with him. Why am I living like I was on the other side of the cross? I'm on this side of the cross. By the way, this is why the cross is in the back of our sanctuary, not at the front. Every time we enter, we have entered through the cross. It's behind us. The resurrection and the glory of God and the kingdom of God is before us. We have entered into the kingdom. And that's a, that's a great symbolism. Something we need to be mindful. Paul says, set your mind on. Lock your brain on this thing. So, he says to us that we are to no longer live in those things. So what are you supposed to do? He says, I want you to put some things aside. Now, you have, if you're like me, when you travel, you overpack. I'm always worried I need another electronic gizmo. And extra batteries and extra cords, other stuff. 
And so I end up carrying all of this stuff. I don't use much of any of it. But I've always got this thought that I'm going to need it. And in the last couple of years on my trips, I've thought about what minimal stuff do I need that can do double, you know, one set of headphones can work on the phone and the tablet and the thing. And I, why do I need both of those, right? I started doing that. And so instead of carrying this huge case that I used to carry on the plane, I've got this little bag now that's about this. I set those things aside. They are a burden to me. They were wearing me down. Okay? I can sit them under the seat in the plane and be the first one out. Right? It's great. Okay? So Paul says, look, all of that stuff that was bogging you down, you're dead to it. I want you to take it off. Put it aside. And so that's the issue. So what what do we put aside? Verse 8. Now, you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Now, this is interesting. Many of you are behavioral scientists. You've gone to college in psych, social, or anthro, or all of them, or some of them. The, the behavioral sciences think of behavior as thought, emotion, and overt action. Okay? The Bible doesn't. The Bible talks about the thought and intent of the heart, the inner person. But when it talks about behavior, it talks about it in two categories. Word and deed. And basically, he's now saying, I want you to take your words and knock off the old talk and the practices that go with those words. I mean, you know this. We're told to love not in word only, but in deed, right? So the idea biblically is that this is to... Listen to what we're talking about. Are we talking about kingdom things? Are we talking about cultural things? Now, you have to talk about regular stuff. What aisle is the bread on? It's on aisle four. Thank you very much. I'm not talking about that. But those are very quick conversations, right? But I know people that spend their whole time grousing about everything that's going on in the world. We're not part of that. We're waiting for something better. Okay? And so our focus of our speech should be to encourage one another with the truth and to speak truth in love to one another. And that's, that's what he's talking about. Quit lying to each other since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices and put on the new self who is being renewed. Notice that. It's not all done. This is a process. We're all works in process, in progress. Some of us are moving faster than others. Some of us uh, have slipped back and we've got to move forward. All that stuff happens, right? So let's not be judging each other. Let's be encouraging each other to get back on the road and in the direction that we're going. Uh, we are to put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. All human beings were created in the image of God. And in the image of God, we were created as male and female. 
in the new creation, we are being conformed, Paul says, to the image of God's Son. And that image is different than the one in this culture or in this time. He says this renewal has no distinction between the Greek and the Jew. The circumcised, the uncircumcised, the barbarian, the Scythian, the slave, the free man. But Christ is all and in you all. So what he's saying is that this creation, this new creation, is for us to be conformed to the image of Christ in his resurrection, in his fullness of the second Adam, the new creation. That, the, that will be even beyond the kingdom. When the kingdom comes, it will reconcile all this. But then it goes even beyond. We're shooting beyond even the time of the resurrection and the restoration into the new creation. Well, what does that look like? Well, he tells us. Uh, chapter 3, verse 12. So, as those who have been chosen of God. Do you love that? God chose us? It's amazing. I was talking to Dr. Collins yesterday as we came back from the graduation. Last time he's doing the graduation. 32 years ago, I walked into his office and I was a first semester PhD student with no teaching experience. Uh, Pretty insecure, pretty much of a mess, untested, untried, and all of that. And said, uh, you got any chance for someone to teach anthropology? Because I needed to teach it for one semester as part of my PhD thing. And then that, that was going to be it. He took a chance on me and let me do it. Now, I know God's involved in all of that and other people are involved. But he really did opened that door, and then when the door got rocky, he, he helped me in that context. He, he chose to do good to me, and that's what chosenness is about. Chosenness is not about, oh, i got to have you. Chosenness by God is that you need me. I'm going to choose you and help you. If there is anything I know about the chosenness of God, he chooses the least. What does he say to Israel? I didn't choose you because you were the most. I choose you because you're the least, right? First Corinthians. Look around you. Not many. Mighty. Not many noble are called. God has chosen the weak things and the base things and the things that are nothing to bring to nothing the things that think they are. So, as I like to say it, we're God's special Olympics. God says, I'm going to take the people who don't have legs and they're going to be my runners. And I'm going to take the people who, who can't talk and they're going, to, they're, going to, they're going to yell for the rowing team, right? And the people with no arms, they're going to do the rowing. And you say, how will that team win? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. He will heal them. He will resurrect them. He will bring them through. If God be for us, who can be against us? That's the resurrection message. I want to be on God's team. Because ultimately what he does is gift and restore. And I don't have to do it and fake it. Which is what we do in the world. 
That old man is dead. And I, I don't know if you guys notice it. Linda's always noticed it. When I'm walking in faith with God, my confidence is pretty solid. And when I'm walking myself, I'm a mess. I'm just a mess. So that's, that's what he's talking about here. He says, put on the new self, renewed with a true knowledge. So he says, those of you who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. He's made us kadosh because he loves us. Put on a heart. Now here goes the inner man. He doesn't say, start acting. He doesn't start with that. He starts with the heart. You know we all have a heart problem. I will give you a new heart. I will change your heart, is what God says. So, here's here's what he says. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What for? For the people sitting next to you. See it? Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So he starts by saying, get over yourself. Ratchet it down a little bit. You're in need just like everybody else. So have a little patience with each other. You've messed up. When they mess up, be ready to forgive them. The Lord's forgiven you. You can't forgive other people. You think you got in here on your own? You didn't get in here on your own. Neither did they. You all got in here with the same ticket, right? And it was a free ticket called grace. So come in and enjoy the others because they're also going to be changed when, when your ugly self is changed, right? By the way, most of these are the fruit of the Spirit. They're not the works of our flesh. So then he says, Beyond all these things. What? Well, if I change the inner me, then the outer me has to change, right? If I change the inner me, you know, you know when you're upset on the inside? Pretty soon it works its way out. You know, when you're happy on the inside, eventually your face finds out, right? Eventually it, it comes out of the heart, comes these things. That's what he says. Get the heart, work on the heart, get that going. And then what you're going to see is you're going to put on some clothing. And what's that clothing? That clothing is love. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Wow. How do you know that a person is loving? Because they are connected to God. There's unity with God. They're connected with the stranger, with their neighbor. They're even, even towards their enemy. And certainly towards those who are of like precious faith. <laughs> do good to all men, especially those of the household of it. This becomes the bond. This is the glue. That, that causes the body to build itself up in love. Doing good for others at my expense. 
Then he says in verse 15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were indeed called in one body, and be thankful. Well, what does that mean? Do I wait for the... Here, here it comes. I have the peace. Now, I don't want to mock that. You guys know that there is a time when you seem to be held in a peace that passes all understanding, that holds you when you would otherwise come apart. Okay? But the peace that He's called us to, as much as depends on you, be at peace with other people. Well, what about them? I'll be peaceful if they'll be peaceful. Right? If they're peaceful, I'll be peaceful. I'll be peaceful with anyone who gets along with me. Right? That's not it. As much as I can be the one who is at peace with another, that's my obligation. Wow. Because you were called into one body and be thankful. We were brought into this body and the body of Christ. We're not only members of Christ, we're members of one another. We're stuck with each other. We might as well start getting along, right? And be thankful because you could be on the outside. Okay. I, you know, they, you, there's a major storm going on, right? Lightning and thunder and all that kind of stuff. And you rush in and they say, come on, we got room for one more. And you get in and you get in here and you go, oh, Troy's in here. I don't want to be in here, Right? Jeremy's in there. I don't want to be in it. What kind of thinking is that? You should be thankful you're in there too. And then after a while you begin to notice that these other people who are in there with you have abilities and gifts and aspects that help you. And pretty soon you go from I don't want to be with them to I don't know how I'm going to function if they're not around. That's the unity that comes out of that bond of love. Then he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart. You notice thankfulness is a constant term here. This being thankful, there's only one way to be thankful. You've got to quit thinking you're entitled. If you think you're entitled, you're not thankful. Right? You're supposed to do that. I'm not going to be thankful. You should do it. Somebody turns in a paper I assigned. I don't go, thank you. You see that all the time in classes. The student comes up, hands you a test. Thank you. And you say, thank you. Okay. I don't think, I don't think there's any thankfulness going on there. That's just courtesy, right? But the real thankfulness is anything. If you don't expect it and you're given that, there's a, there's a gratitude that comes out of that. And that's peace. And thankfulness and love and unity, these things all go together. Then he says, whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You represent him. We're his body. So you can't talk like yourself anymore. You can't act like yourself anymore. Got to start talking like him. Now, be careful. Oh, man. 
Right? You can't do that. Remember, this is a process. You have to, you have to grow in grace and in knowledge. We grow in this process. And that's why we forgive each other and we work. Through. This is a learning, growing process. And that's why the Disciple Center is a lab for that, for us to do. And we've got some good examples of people who need it. Starting with me, right? And that's the way this that's the way this works. So he says, whatever you do in word or deed, there's those behavioral cues, this is the external. You want to let that internal heart that's been changed by God and being changed by God, for God is in you, both the will and to do of his good pleasure, and you work towards that and uh, giving thanks through him to God the Father. When you begin to see where you are, be- what you are becoming instead of what you were, thankfulness is part of that. Now, I would have loved to have gone forward, I just can't do it. I want you to look at verse 18. Where does this start? In the home. It's amazing how Judaism and Christianity, if they're done right, is about the home. Howard Hendricks, uh, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, had a major impact on my young ministry life. Um, And I only saw him a few times, but he was one of those guys that you just remembered every word. And I remember him saying, I didn't even know what he was talking about at the time. He said, young men, he was talking to a bunch of young preacher boys. He said, you young guys, I'm sitting in the third row. Let me tell you something. If you're married or you get married, if this faith doesn't work in your house, don't export it. And I'm thinking, what is he talking about? What he's saying is, don't go telling people about this great gospel that does nothing for you. He got this idea. It starts in the heart. Get your heart right. Then get your house right. Then go into your neighborhood. Then go into your city. Then go into the world. Don't do it the opposite way. We all know people who are great at presenting the gospel, but not very good at living it. Our goal is to live it so that we can both express it and tell it so that when it is revealed, people won't be surprised. We enter the kingdom of the risen one every morning. And one day he will be revealed. And at that time, we also so shall be revealed. I want us to live in a way. I want us to move in a way that when he is revealed and we are brought alongside him, no one will be surprised. They will see the fullness of what we were trying to emanate. And I don't want any of us when that manifestation happens. To be ashamed at his coming. The scripture warns that there will be some who will be ashamed at his coming. So, this is not a one time make a decision for Christ. It's an everyday get up, check your old man at the door, (laughs) put on the new man. We have practiced that in Lent. Now we're going to practice it in the direction of resurrection.
the kingdom to come. All the good. What will it be like? I'm going to approximate it in my life today. That will be my mindset from now to Pentecost. And I hope that you will do the same. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the resurrection. Grateful for the meaning of the cross. For the glory of the empty tomb. But that's not the whole story. We know, Lord, that the ascension and the return are part of this great gift you've given us. And you have given us the opportunity to not have to wait until it comes. We can begin living it now. Not in fullness, but in part, until that which is hidden is fully revealed. Let us live in a way, Father, that people will not be surprised when that light is full and that we will not be ashamed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Q&A. Yes, sir.